Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And I am Ira Kreisman. And on this episode, we will be discussing the music of Final Fantasy V, as composed by, of course, the incomparable Nobuo Uematsu. We'll be playing arrangements from the original sound version, the specialty Dear Friends album, which is much like the Celtic Moon album from Final Fantasy IV, and various live orchestrated performances throughout the years, whether it be Distant Worlds concerts or the, I love to say this one, 2020220 performance. We'll be playing various versions of these songs because like with most soundtracks in this series, they have been interpreted and reinterpreted sometimes in official capacity, oftentimes by fans because this album is phenomenal. We're going to work with two big questions, which is maybe more along the lines of what we would do with our themes episodes, but I wanted to start with one question, which I'm posing as much to myself as anyone else involved in here. I have typically felt that the apex of Nobuo Uematsu's work, and really one of the strongest primes of any artist I can think of, I would put it on that high of a pedestal, is the work he did from Final Fantasy VI to Final Fantasy X, which, you may note, did not include this soundtrack, Final Fantasy V. I want to explore why that's the case, and maybe by the end of this conversation, flip around on that and decide that it needs to be included. Maybe my brother will will do some work along those, those lines as well. The other thing that I want us to just be aware of as we're going through some of these pieces is the light and dark dichotomy that we've often seen thematically in the games represented in these pieces of music. We'll see it over and over again, even beginning with the main theme of Final Fantasy V, which should be playing behind me as we speak. I love this piece of music. It's one of my favorite main themes of the series, and I think it's because it's a quintessential example of something that Uematsu has done several times, both before and after this, but it really is kind of that Japanese version of a John Williams song. You hear versions of this feel, this motif in Joe Hisashi music in the Studio Ghibli films. It's very fluid, while at the same time being adventurous and forward-moving. Uh, but it's got that cinematic feel that makes it very comparable to things like John Williams or Howard Shore or Hans Zimmer. But it's got that Asian flair to it that separates it and gives it that unique tone. And this might be my favorite example of him working in this tone. What strikes me about this piece in particular is at the very beginning, we get this sort of triumphant fanfare that when it is done by a a live orchestral body is played by trumpets. It feels very much like a not a charge like in a football sense or a military sense, but like in a, in a we're going forward, we're doing this thing, we are perhaps ahead on our way. Indeed, and, and that is the other name for this track when it's not just referred to as the main theme of Final Fantasy V, which it is also oftentimes called. Uh, the other thing that I think really helps drive that point home is that once we do get into the parts I was talking about earlier with these string melodies that are just gorgeous and flowing and you feel like you could be flying across the sky while listening to this, there's this bass line underneath it that's very bumpy and moving. It's kind of a walking bass line that you would expect to hear more in a modern rock song. It sounds like it would even be played on an electric bass in its original sound version usually just taken by the bass instruments in an orchestra when it's played that way but I I feel it helps it give it this unique movement that carries forward the fanfare like you were talking about at the beginning so that the song doesn't feel 
maybe too quiet. And the final thing to say about this piece, which actually helps move us into a few others, is that it is leitmotifed, as are several main themes in the Final Fantasy series, throughout the rest of the game. And as I was talking about before, where it is the light side of a coin, you will hear the darker side of the coin in tracks like Requiem and Deception, or a more militaristic version of it in the track Four Hearts. The next category on our list is a favorite Uematsu standby since the very first game, and that is town music. He's continuing to play with this idea and see what he can do, starting to branch out a little bit more to having different kinds of town music in the last couple of games. Four especially, I think, did a great job of giving a different feel to different towns throughout the world. Uh, five, I feel like, takes maybe a slight step back in this regard in that its main town theme, I feel like, much in the way we've talked about the characters of the game, kind of feels bland. Is that the right word? Similar, maybe maybe just too similar to all of the other town themes. Sure, it's fine. It doesn't really stand out to me. I, I wouldn't call it bland, but I wouldn't call it especially noteworthy either it doesn't it doesn't make me feel much but it does put me in the mind of it is that sort of background mood music it doesn't really draw too much attention to itself it just is and it serves the function for which it was created yeah and when it's played on piano it's a really nice background kind of relaxing study music piece but uh i do think the most interesting thing about it is that it is a little bit darker in tone a little more melancholy Whereas its counterpart, the track Harvest, which accompanies other towns throughout Final Fantasy V, is incredibly upbeat and lively. And even though Uematsu had delved into certain parts of Celtic music before, I don't know that he'd ever written a straight-up Irish jig. So according to that book, the Final Fantasy V book I mentioned last episode, uh, Nobuo Uematsu took a trip to Ireland uh, before Final Fantasy IV, and so that's why there's a lot of Irish influence in the music from Final Fantasies IV and V. And oddly enough, this is a piece that I haven't heard remixed or rearranged very often, and I'd like to, but maybe it's because it requires a, a kind of different set of instruments and a different take where you, you essentially need um, Gaelic Storm to cover this song. And, <laughs> you know, that's not always where you hear the, the large orchestral rearrangements of Uematsu music go. We're going to move now into a category that's incredibly ambiguous. I, I feel like I'm evolving in how I'm trying to structure these conversations around music as Uematsu is, a, is evolving over the years as a musician because it gets more and more difficult to categorize. I've talked broadly about mood music in the past and most of the music in Final Fantasy V can fit into this category. There's a lot of music that just accompanies, whether it's dungeons or individual scenes or moments, and there are a number of pieces that I feel like kind of fade into the background. But apart from those, there are some absolute standouts, including probably one of the most memorable pieces of music from Final Fantasy V, Pirates Ahoy. Ahoy. <laughs> 
I was especially tickled when this piece uh, appeared in World of Final Fantasy. It made me smile. I think one of the things Final Fantasy does really well is lean on its own nostalgia. Uh, it, it does a good job of reminding you of the things you loved when you were a kid when it remixes them or redoes them for things like World of or Dissidia or even something like Brave Exvius. This is a nice track that, uh, again, it brings a smile to my face. The other thing is I think this is a little bit more experimentation for Uematsu getting outside of just the traditional medieval orchestral or as we were talking about the sort of Japanese version of John Williams music that none of us have gotten tired of listening to by any means but it adds a little more flavor a little extra color and this particular sound is something that we don't hear a lot of in future games a very percussive purposefully tribal pirate sounding music that is also echoed a bit in tracks like cursed lands and to the north mountain which i'll play a few selections from here It might also, just as a, a, a wording thing, because like, I don't think you mean it negatively, but we keep talking about him as sort of the Asian John Williams. So we're framing it. We are, you know, America-centric, I guess. Yeah, just just a thing to think about. Like maybe John Williams is the the American Uematsu or the, the American Hisashi or whatever. But... The, because what what we're doing is just framing it from our, yeah, from our understanding or from a different pop culture understanding, not necessarily from an American understanding, but I think that is part of how it sounds. Uh, and to that point, and I'm really glad you brought it up because it's worth saying, and I think I've maybe mentioned this before, that I think Uematsu has the more impressive resume. I actually think he's got more better music to put it as simple as possible so uh, yeah it should be framed in such a way that perhaps john williams is the american uematsu still in the realm of mood music there are a couple of tracks that accompany the more melancholic moments of the story that have stuck with me for a long time and this is where we again get to mention the influence of KFSS Studios and 1UP Studios, the albums that they put out that you and I absolutely ate up immediately. And because I didn't have as deep an attachment to Final Fantasy V as several other games in the series, I hadn't given these tracks as deep a listen as I did once I heard them on their album Square Dance. Both Sorrows of Parting and The Day Will Come are covered on that album, and because I have no idea whether or not they'd be okay with it or not, we're not going to play their remixes. I just highly recommend if you can seek them out, because they absolutely led me to a deeper appreciation of both of these pieces of music that now when I listen to even their original sound versions just take me away to a, a pretty dark and mysterious and introspective place uh, they're really quite powerful.
part of what fiction can do for us is it can provide catharsis. So if you are attached to characters like Gollif or Sildra, when they do die in game, when they die in the story, that that can be a way for us to experience a kind of grief if you've never experienced grief or to help us to help us understand our own grief through the lens of a fictional character. And music like this just helps to underscore that. And then later, when perhaps you're at work and don't have time to play games as much as you used to, you can play the the track to a particular scene or a particular game or, or, or a particular event. And not that you want to be sobbing in your office uh, necessarily, <laughs> Maybe. But uh, it, it can be a nice way to sort of relive that catharsis a bit at a, at a more muted way, in a, in a more, uh, in a quieter way, in a perhaps in a bit, bit more detached way, just to just to be able to think about and have some of those emotions and, and some of those memories. I think that's one of the things Uematsu tracks and these tracks in particular do really well. There's also something peculiar about the instrumentation and the rhythms, and we've talked about before the way he uses empty space, but this, especially at the time, again, continues to be experimental, and I just love going back and watching the way that this, I'll use the word again, genius, continued to test himself, and he never runs too far, too fast. He never gets absolutely experimental and insane, maybe until Final Fantasy VIII. But these steps forward allow him to, like the characters in the games, discover new parts of himself, and he just continues to build and build on that as he moves forward in his career. Oddly enough, after all of that praise, I do think that this game's music that accompanies the villains, for the most part, isn't exceptional. Like we talked about with Final Fantasy IV and Golbez's theme, I I like X-Death's theme better. It stands out to me a little bit more, but like Golbez's theme, it doesn't go anywhere. It establishes immediately what it is, and it's just dark sounds accompanying maniacal laughter and much like the character doesn't have a ton of nuance to it. Uh, It's hard when you're comparing to the likes of Kefka's theme or Dancing Mad or One Winged Angel. Yeah, it, it is kind of... It's almost a cartoon bad guy's theme. It's, it's almost that over the top. I don't think it's bad by any means. I think it fits the character. But that's not... Like, if I'm going to listen to those other tracks sometimes when I'm at work, I'm not listening to this one, necessarily. Right. And unfortunately, I think the second half of the album, the the way it's structured in the original sound version, a lot of that is true. There are some pieces of music that by no means are bad, but they don't really stand out. They're a little bit cartoonish. They get the point across in game and as accompaniments to moments in the game, I, I think they all succeed as standalone pieces of music. Things like the sealed book or slumber of ancient earth don't really do a whole lot for me. There are a couple toward the end where, like in Final Fantasy IV, when stuff gets super weird, stuff doesn't get as sci-fi in five, but you do go into an interdimensional rift, right, and right. the track Prelude to the Void reflects that in a similar way that he did at the end of 4 with some more electronic sounding music.
And then I think the song In Search of Light does a decent job near the end of the game of being an embodiment of both the light and dark side of the story that we've experienced up to this point and the soundtrack that we've experienced up to this point. I've left a couple of pieces out that we're going to get back to, but I do want to move to our final category of music. You may have been noticing that this was missing, and it's because Uematsu is always fantastic at this, and it's best to sometimes just group them together and give them a listen. We're talking battle music. These two battle musics do strike me as lighter than the battle musics we've heard before or will hear in later games. I'm not sure that's actually true. I'm not sure they're actually lighter, but they they lend to me the idea of this is an adventure. It's a dangerous adventure. People are going to die. Bad things are going to happen. But I, I have no real technical basis on which to say it, but they feel more adventury. Is adventury a technical term in music theory? Yeah, no, I think that's right. No, I'm sure there are technical terms to describe things like this. This is a good time to send out another reminder that we are not experts in music theory. Uh, just because I play instruments and write songs sometimes and uh, really appreciate music doesn't mean that I know that much more about it than anybody else, and, and we wouldn't presume to know so. In fact, this is a good time also to shout out 8-Bit Music Theory on YouTube. If you guys haven't seen, if you want hardcore music theory analysis of this stuff, go there to find that, because he does an absolutely phenomenal job. Uh, this is just for you know us to, again, really appreciate the work of Uematsu and talk about the things that work for us. Yeah, so that caveat in mind, I do think that there are ways in which the staccato nature of the main melody of these pieces gives it that forward-moving, bumpy feel like I talked about with the main theme having and serves as a kind of inspirational, you can do it. It's this battle music of, you know, where it feels like it's really behind you, whereas the battle music in Final Fantasy VII feels like it's, you know, on the side of the enemy. It's something to be... Uh, afraid of is in fact they literally chant the enemy's name at the very end of that game so it's it's a bit more imposing where i feel like this is whatever the opposite of imposing is to move back to the more critical side the next piece of battle music called the decisive battle is one that's never been especially memorable to me i think it is appropriately epic and I like that there are some more electronic tones in it again. But 
like some of the other music that we've talked about here, I feel it's a little bit basic. It doesn't do too many things. It doesn't really go anywhere. It fades a little bit into the background, and it shares the unfortunate, uh, or it has the unfortunate uh, reality of sharing its name with the decisive battle from Final Fantasy VI, which is a far more memorable piece of music. contrast to that, the music that plays during the final battle, cleverly titled The Final Battle, is just an absolute masterclass of Uematsu battle music, of him employing different techniques, introducing different sort of small movements or, or pieces throughout the song that throw off your rhythmic or melodic expectations, and it contains within it more of those trumpet you know, that we've been talking about throughout the rest of the battle music where it's forward pushing and again sounds like it's got your back. There's a sequence I love with a grouping of triplets that makes it sound like a duel where it's moving back and forth and, and you could see a couple of sword dancers moving in kind of linear motion back and forth against each other and uh, I just absolutely love this piece of music. You were talking earlier about how the battle music from Final Fantasy VII is perhaps uh, imposing. It sounds like it's on the side of the bad guys. Maybe the battle music of Final Fantasy V is a little more, uh, you were looking for a word, maybe that word was encouraging, like you can do this, we are going to make it. some of you may be thinking, hey, there's a piece of battle music that you haven't talked about yet. We're going to get there. If, if you're already thinking that, then you understand why we're going to need a little bit more time to dive into that piece. But I want to talk about two more pieces, actually three more pieces, that really are mood music, but that I feel like, and the legacy suggests as such, fit more as main themes for Final Fantasy V. They embody the very spirit and soul of this game. One of them we mentioned and played on the podcast in the moment it happens because I think it's just too tied into that moment not to, and it's why I didn't include it in our town music, despite the fact that Home Sweet Home plays when Bart's returns home to Licks. It's, for me one of the pieces of music that puts me into the world of Final Fantasy V. When I hear it, it's, it, and, and more than that, into the universe of Final Fantasy. Yeah, I, I, this one's seared into my brain
This is the only town in Final Fantasy V that gets its own unique music. Uh, I can't recall if any towns previously had this honor. Certainly some will in the future. But it is striking when you finally make it to Licks and you hear this music you don't hear anywhere else that this place is for some reason special and it becomes clear once we start getting into Bartz's memories why it is of particular note in this world. This piece is so classically medieval. You could play it in Lord of the Rings or pretty much anything with that kind of setting. This piece of music would feel right at home. (laughs) No pun intended. Its use of the basic stringed guitar type of instrument, maybe a lute, it could be played on a number of different things, and then the flute that comes in over the top of it. One of the things that I really love about the way it has been interpreted and reinterpreted is that it tends to stay very simple, where a lot of the pieces will get blown up and you put a lot of instrumentation behind them because it's clear that that was the intent. This is meant to be just a couple of voices. And speaking of voices... When it is sung on the Dear Friends album, I, at first, hated it. I hated it. Really? And huh. I have since come to... I did. I, I, because it wasn't... It just didn't feel like the song to me. You know, I was maybe too attached to the original version. Now, as an adult and somebody who appreciates craft and adaptation and putting your own take into something that has inspired you... I adore this sound and revisiting it upon playing this game and doing these podcasts has got this particular version of it back into my regular playlist. Just an, an all-timer from Uematsu that you will hear in live performances to this day. As is, speaking of simple pieces of music that live on, the spiritual successor, we've talked about that a, a couple of times, in my mind, to Edward's theme on the harp in Final Fantasy IV, another piece that's played on a singular instrument and is just one line where the melody and counter-melody are played on the same instrument. Music Box. This piece also is only heard in licks. We kind of skipped over this detail when we were talking about the plot, but when you get back to licks, Bartz's house where he grew up is no longer empty. His, his father has died, his mother has died, and he's left, and a bard has moved in. The bards play a role in you learning your various uh, bard spells, but it's striking to me that the bard did not get rid of Bartz's mother's music box, presumably because it plays such a pretty song. Yeah, again, this is a a classic sound, and the melody is entirely what makes it. And if I had an actual music box that played this song, it would make me cry. Uh, (laughs) And this is a great opportunity to introduce a new vocab word to the podcast, uh, something I've wanted to talk about before because it's one of my favorite little nuances of filmmaking or video game making television making and that is diegetic music ira what is diegetic music i'm sure you know what diegetic music is (laughs) that's music that in the context of the 
the world or the, the play, the show, whatever, is music that's playing. So, for example, in Star Wars, when they go to the cantina, the music that is playing is music that is playing in the cantina. That's diegetic music. Absolutely. And what I love about it so much as a device for bringing an audience into a world is that's exactly what it does. It allows us, the viewer or the player of the game, to be hearing exactly what the characters are hearing. And we get to respond to it in real time the way they are. And maybe with a different background here with this music box, it's for Bart's mother, not our own mother, but we're hearing what he is hearing. This happened before in Final Fantasy IV. We talked a lot about Edward's harp, and it's a great example of that and and actually plays a role in the story as well. It's always nice when diegetic music plays a role in the story. It also can just be a fun way to transition between scenes or uh, allow, again, just any number of interesting ways to, to bring your audience into it. Final Fantasy would continue to use them throughout the years. Of course, in the next game, one of the best examples ever was the opera from Final Fantasy VI, Eyes on Me in Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy X-2 has a couple of them with real emotion and a thousand words, again, that play a big role in the story there. And Final Fantasy XV allows you to drive around in the radio and listen to the soundtracks from all the other games, which is, that's my nomination for most clever use of diegetic music in a Final Fantasy game. There's a, a few examples outside of Final Fantasy that I think are of particular note, especially in video games. The Ocarina of Time in Zelda, Ocarina of Time. Play- Maybe the best example in games, honestly. And I give that game a lot of, uh, a hard time because I think it's a little overrated because I don't think it's the greatest game that was ever made. But really good use of diegetic music. Right, it's, it's literal gameplay. It is the thing that you, are, that you do, that your character does in order to travel through time. A couple other great examples. In Chrono Cross, Nikki is a musician who's got to learn a song at one point in order to do a thing. Also, the end of that game, and we're spoiling it already, uh, you win that game. Like you, you can defeat Lavos in that game. You can kill Lavos. That's fine. But the real way to win that game is to line up your magic just right so that you can play the song that's been playing all game and save Scala. Yeah, yeah. A personal favorite. Great moment. Uh, and w- what a piece of music by Yashinori Matsuda. A few from outside of gaming that are particular favorites. Pretty much any Quentin Tarantino movie is going to have some pretty fun use of diegetic music. Probably most famously that scene in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, Yeah. And most recently in the Marvel Netflix show Luke Cage, which prominently features a club that brings in a lot of real-world... Well, not that the other ones don't have real-world musicians. <laughs> Those guys are musicians, right. too, Uematsu. Right. And, and, uh, but they have the musicians performing live in the show, like your Cantina example, but it's a bunch of different ones they bring in, and they can serve as thematic backgrounds to what's going on. And he'll often even put in headphones to signify so that even the music that's playing during a fight sequence we the audience are listening to what our hero is listening to it puts us inside the shoes or i guess maybe in this case inside the hoodie of the hero okay i made it an alliterative funny (laughs) the hoodie of the hero i like it so i said two and then i said three and i of course really meant four because i'm super well organized for this but i'm going to pretend like it's actually a great symbol for how this game and some of the pieces of music on it can get a bit overlooked because there's one not every character in this game gets their own theme bart's doesn't have his own theme goliff doesn't have his own theme i believe Cryley does but it I'm not seeing one, actually. I don't think Crowley has her own theme. Boko's got his own theme, but it kind of fades into the background (laughs) for me. We're not going to talk about the Moogle theme, though it does first appear in this game, and we should. But we're going to give the character themes of the next game a a much deeper look. And because it's the same thing, we'll talk about it then. But I I promise we'll at least mention it. Yeah, that's fair. it, it, It showed up first here in five. But there is a character theme that is absolutely worthy of conversation 
and for me is almost, almost in the category of theme of love from Final Fantasy IV or Aria or Elia, Maiden of Water from Final Fantasy III. It's not quite as interesting as those pieces, but it's just as beautiful, and that is Reina or Lena's theme. gets perhaps the short end of the character development stick. This is a really pretty song. Um, this we, we talked about what we think the, the themes of this game are and I was actually thinking about it after we were done recording. That maybe something we missed is that this game is about passing on. Uh, and I don't mean all the character deaths. I mean the responsibilities of the parents pass on to the children. King Tycoon passes on his responsibilities to uh, Lena and Ferris. Golov passes on his responsibilities to Kryli. Doragon passes on his responsibilities to Bartz. Uh, the Dawn Warriors pass on their responsibility to the Light Warriors. And so we mentioned that some, but I feel like this, this theme embodies that in a way. Because it is playing when King Tycoon decides he needs to go check on the Wind Crystal, it is a signal of that it, it is kind of melancholy in its way too. And so the melancholy of eventually our parents, our mentors are going to leave and we're going to have to carry on without them. I feel like this piece embodies that. I completely agree, and I think one of the ways that it does that is in the way that it builds, and the build to it is really slow, and the pieces behind that start to fill out the song swell to this emotional kind of climax. The other thing is a very specific move. The bass line does this walk up and bend down that sounds vaguely electronic, it, it's difficult, and it would feel almost completely out of place. It sounds like something out of the apocalyptic music from Chrono Trigger or like jumping forward to Final Fantasy VII. But this little bend down that the bass does, it's so, it sounds like something crying out in an empty space, all alone by itself with this gorgeous moving flute and string you know chorus behind it 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 just it sounds like crying to me it's it's it, it's incredible what you can do with a single instrumental move and i don't think we've heard anything like that in uematsu's work up to this point and the second to last piece we're going to talk about that again I feel like fits in that category of this could be considered the main theme of Final Fantasy V and it could be considered one of Uematsu's most memorable works even though it is quite simple. It is also quintessentially Uematsu and medieval much like Home Sweet Home. It's typically played in its first go-round once all the way through. It plays its... I guess if you want to call it verse, two times it plays its chorus and then it comes back in and it adds a flute to the equation and it's almost always that simple. I've seen it played live a couple of times and it's usually one person on a classical guitar. If they decide to include the flute, they can, but you know you've got a piece of melodic brilliance when people have been playing your song for 30 years 
and never really felt the need to change it. same way that the last piece we talked about has a has a strong connection to the thematic core of the whole piece of art Final Fantasy 5 is about making family out of companions it is fitting that this piece is called Dear Friends the end of that game is about Cryley writing to Mid telling him what all her friends have been up to since the end of the adventure uh, and then they all get together at the guardian tree to reavow not only their intent to protect the world and the crystals, but to protect each other, to, to reavow their own friendship and how they're going to protect each other. And I, I, really, I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate this piece of music embodying that. And that's why the specialty album that was released with this game was called Dear Friends, and that's why it's not uncommon to see live performances titled Dear Friends. And I think that message, like you said, embodies absolutely the core of Final Fantasy V, but the core of Final Fantasy, it's always about your dear friends. And I, I love this piece of music. When it goes into the chorus and does that little walk down, I just it fills my heart with warmth and sadness at the same time. That's, a, that's an interesting balance to be able to strike, but that gets right at the heart of everything we've been talking about here. I need to make a quick interjection at this point because my note-taking wasn't the absolute best for this episode, and unfortunately there were a couple of tracks that I just missed, so I have to give honorable mentions and shout-outs to Musica Machina and The Fireship, but I absolutely cannot leave here without playing the piano version of one of my favorite pieces from this game that honestly, I don't even remember when it plays during the game. I don't even think of it anymore as a piece of music associated particularly with this game. I think you could put it in any Final Fantasy game, but still, tenderness in the air absolutely must be played while talking about this soundtrack. Just another classic medieval melody from this game that is quintessential Uematsu. And, and that wraps it up. That's yeah. all the pieces of music. Those are all the notable yeah, ones. Yeah, that, that's this game, it for right? this episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, there's something about Twitter. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. And a clever three-part. There is sign-off. No, no. There's yeah, a bridge. There's a great big battle. And a big, on a great big freaking yeah. bridge. The battle on the big bridge is two minutes and twenty-nine seconds of unmitigated brilliance.
I tried in a previous podcast, I think unsuccessfully, to make a distinction between masterpieces and masterworks. Uh, there need be no such ridiculous distinction about Battle at the Big Bridge. Whether or not Uematsu had created a masterpiece before, you can debate. Uh, beginning with this piece, you cannot. Uh, I, it's really that simple to me. It is, at its core, still just, I guess, if, if you want to try to put it in, in cynical terms, just a piece of battle music. But there is a reason, and not just because Gilgamesh reappears throughout the rest of the series, this piece has been rearranged and reinterpreted from everything to full orchestras to rock heavy metal bands to I've seen uh, a trio there's a really fantastic one I should look up the the name of them but doing it on uh, stand-up bass violin and a banjo you can find no shortage of inspiration and love for this piece of music and we're going to go through it step by step to try to understand why So the first 16 seconds of the song introduce us to this chaotic arpeggio that sounds like the Final Fantasy prelude on acid or something. (laughs) It feels like it's getting you ready, doesn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely uh, preparational in in terms of its phrasing. Uh, it, It starts with eight seconds mostly of just that prelude. It goes through one time not really the prelude, the arpeggio, goes through one time on its first repeat. It adds a bass line, so we're adding a layer again that that helps with that, makes you feel like you're getting ready for something. After the bass and drums are added for a second go-around, we get the first sign that we're in for some genius here because there is a four second walk down that seems to come out of absolutely nowhere totally breaking the rhythm that we've already established in the first 16 seconds of the song to take us into an uncomfortable place and then it's only three phrases instead of four which would feel more natural to your ears And then, rather than that having established some kind of new space for us to live in, we get right back to where we were with the next few moments of the song. After, again, just a few seconds to live in that space, we hit with the walk down again, this time with the other part of the music playing behind it, and it gives you the four phrases that your ears wanted the first time. Seconds 27 to 31, yes, we're getting this granular, introduce one of my favorite mini phrases in the history of Final Fantasy. And if you think that's an easy list to make, you've not been paying attention. This, out of all of this other chaos that we've just established, sounds like a traditional rock and roll guitar rift, but played on the organ and orchestral music that we've already established. But it brings in this extreme drive and that riff then is is sort of capped off with this nice percussion break i guess that drives us into what's about to become what is the actual melody of this piece exactly right all of this chaos goes away again for just a split second enough time for us to get a hi-hat solo that shoves you into the main melody of the piece. So for roughly the next 10 seconds, we get the main melody that, you know, people sometimes leave some parts of the song out or don't when they rearrange it. This is the part you will always hear in every piece 
It's the main element of the song played on what's originally, I think, supposed to sound like a trumpet with a, the driving bass line that we're used to hearing in battle music behind us. But it's heavy syncopation. It's ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba is just absolutely unmistakable and inviting and wonderful and tasty. Right. And, and then it seamlessly goes into what I think you could call its chorus. There's no break. The trumpet line just continues on what was already part of its rambling conclusion to its own phrase and establishes for the first time a long held out note when it gets to what I guess you could call the chorus. I guess. At the 52nd mark, the trumpet gives way for just a moment for the organ to take over the melody, only to hand it right back, all with heavy syncopation. This song has essentially got all of its voices speaking to each other now and trading off of their own kind of chaos. As it concludes its phrase then over the next 10 to 12 seconds, it has this fall off at the end of it. The trumpet builds up to a, a kind of thematic climax and then falls off of the table to make for, again, another abrupt interruption by what feels like a rock and roll song invading a triumphant orchestral trumpeting piece. So yeah, as the organ takes over here with some highly syncopated stuff, another break in the song, it, it just continues to upset your expectations and not stay in any one place for too long. It puts us back I guess in a comfort zone, not by taking us back to the main melody of the song, but by giving us the breakdown it had already introduced earlier and hitting it twice. By hitting it hard and then doing another one of the walkdowns that we talked about where it gives you three phrases and then three more. You feel like for the last 20 seconds or so of this song, you're just kind of falling down some stairs. From 116 to 121, we get another new phrase introduced to this piece of music. And it's just this warbling back and forth on the organ that again feels like you've just kind of lost your balance. You know, with all the back and forth in this piece from the the being off balance to the slightly sinister to perhaps a little more of that enthusiasm we were talking about with earlier pieces, this song really does put me in mind of a duel. There's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of I'm not sure what's going to happen or I, maybe this won't turn out for the best. And in that regard, it then puts me in mind of a future piece, the dueling scene from the opera from Final Fantasy VI. Absolutely. And, and I think you can look forward, and this is one of the reasons why this piece is remembered so fondly, and find elements of it in everything from Dancing Mad, the way it's got a trumpet that seems to rush the conclusion of its phrases. It never feels to totally resolve anything and be kind of pushing through the end of each one of its individual phrases. You can hear elements of this and all of the future battle music the use of the organ for less for things like dancing mad and more for the battle music from final fantasy 8 i think sounds a lot like this so yeah and with that i think i'm just going to play a few different versions of this piece including one that i hadn't heard until very recently that absolutely stunned me that comes from final fantasy 15 so again all these years later still battling on the big bridge.
So we've discussed the pieces that at least I have decided were the most relevant. Again, we always want to hear from anybody out there who would say, hey, you missed this. We are more than open to hearing, hey, you missed this. So that way we can go back and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we did. We totally missed that. But I asked a question at the beginning, or I suppose posed, that this soundtrack doesn't quite make it into the greatest works of Uematsu. Not that there's any number we've got to cut it off at. There can be five greatest albums of all time. There could be 12. You know, I, I'm, But I think there's a top tier. And I still hold, after going through this, that despite its good being really good, its best pieces being standout, still listenable to this day, and still among the best he's ever produced, especially including the last several we talked about there, maybe it just speaks to how much incredible work he did moving forward here that I'm still not quite convinced that it's as good as the other. It's a second-tier Final Fantasy soundtrack, which is still better than most other soundtracks that exist. How's that? So you're telling me that you went on a second-by-second analysis of one of the battle pieces of this soundtrack, and you're going to call the soundtrack second tier. Yeah, only <laughs> only for this guy. So <laughs> I mean, I I yeah. I got to say, actually, I do agree with that. Big surprise, you and I agree again. The reason I agree with you is because if I'm listening to the soundtrack of, for example, Final Fantasy VI. So when I am listening to the soundtrack of Final Fantasy VI, there is not a track I skip over. But when I'm listening to the soundtrack of Final Fantasy V, there are a few tracks that I will probably skip over. That one town music that doesn't really strike me, I probably don't need to hear that one again. X-Death's music, eh, doesn't really do it for me. So in that regard, if we're taking the soundtrack as a whole, there are pieces in it that are perhaps less great. Right, I think that's what holds it back, is that there's just a little bit more on here that is less memorable. That said, if you were to make best of albums and just do, say, the top 15 of your own personal favorite tracks from each Final Fantasy game, you could probably have an album of Final Fantasy V music that's almost as good. Again, and I'm not going to quite put it in the category of the very best of the music that comes from 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, honestly. And it's just ridiculous how good those are. And, and I guess by the time we get into them, we can see why that's the case. But still, its core is exceptionally good. Yeah. It, it's hard to... It's hard to give bad marks to a soundtrack that has Lena's theme, The Music Box, Home Sweet Home, and Battle on the Big Bridge. They're just, they really are that incredible. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at FFWeeklyPod, or you can email us, FinalFantasyWeekly at gmail.com. Join us next time when we attend the Millennial Fair, stand trial for kidnapping, and walk the corridors of time. Don't.